Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hi, everyone. This is Mike Wolf, and welcome to the Smart Home Show. Today's episode is a crossover episode with the two great hosts from the Far Stuff podcast. If you aren't already a fan of the show, you should check it out. They are also a member of the Technology.fm podcast collective or network. So essentially, it's a crossover episode where we're both publishing the podcast on the same day. And the two hosts are Andrea Borcha and Charles Wilchin. And I really enjoy their podcast. They talk about Internet of Things. They have a pretty broad scope and look very broadly at the Internet of Things. They look at things like Smart Home, but they also look at things like Internet of Things platforms, wearables, and clothing. And you can just kind of run down the list of podcasts that they have, and you'll see the kind of the interesting list of topics that they really address that I find interesting. I mean, for example, Episode 13, Pro Sports and the, and the Internet of Things. Great topic. You know, if you don't know already, people are integrating Internet of Things technology into things like golf balls and basketballs. And so this can actually help you become a better athlete as this technology evolves. So those are the types of topics that they address. And so, you know, our conversation is a pretty broad ranging one. And we, we talk about lots of different things about the broader Internet of Things. But we spend a lot of time on smart home, how it fits in to it. And we, we try to define what we think the Internet of Things is. And they actually have a definition. So it's a pretty fun conversation. It's pretty wide ranging. So like I said, it's it's another crossover episode. Uh, it gives you kind of an idea what these guys are doing over at Farstuff at farstuff.com. You can check them out. And also if you're new to this podcast, if you've been listening to Charles and Andrea, welcome. I really appreciate you guys listening. And if you're deep into smart home and how inter- internet of things technology is being weaved into the house and our home lives, uh, this is a good podcast for you to listen to as well. So thank you for uh, checking it out. Like I said, you can check out Farstuff at farstuff.com. You can always check out The Smart Home Show at thesmarthomeshow.com or at technology.fm. And if you're a podcast listener, which you probably are, uh, you can check us out at the usual podcast spaces like iTunes or Stitcher. Later this week, we'll be announcing the winner of the latest giveaway of the Danalock. If you want to try to win a Danalock, you can you can do that. You can go to technology.fm, look for The Smart Home Show, and find out how to enter there. All you really need to do is give a review of the the Smart Home Show and iTunes or Stitcher or enter our mailing list at nextmarket.co for the Smart Home Weekly. We actually have a newsletter that covers the Smart Home, and you can find that at smarthomeweekly.net. And here's my conversation with Andrea and Charles on the crossover with Far Stuff. If you want to do like a real intro, we can totally turn that. Nah, nah, skip the intros. We could be really nerdy and talk about how this is like a super extra bonus Funkadelic special. Because it's like, you remember like it was always cool when you'd watch Happy Days and then you'd see more more come on. Like it's like those crossover shows like oh, in, in the absolutely. 70s and 80s. Like they were really awesome. So I'm hoping like there's like two people in the world who like listen to both our shows. And then like we are on each other's show and they'll think that's cool. But their minds will be blown. Crossovers are so common now, but like back in the eighties they were like really, really cool. So that we're trying yeah. we're trying to trying to do that in a podcast way and we're doing a crossover podcast. Yeah. Exactly. And, and like who's Mark and who's Fonzie? <laughs> question. That was exciting. Did that happen or was that just in my mind? Yeah, that happened. Okay. It happened. 
I actually think Mork actually came from Happy Days. Like, if you, if you Wikipedia it, oh. like, it was a spinoff. Kind of like Laverne Shirley was a spinoff, too, from Happy Days, which maybe I know way too much about the Happy Days universe. Sure, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that space in your brain will yeah. never be useful for anything again. Uh, uh, but that's okay. I feel like now we need to hide this somewhere as, like, an Easter egg on our site. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> we have to hunt yeah. for it. How badly do you want it? I'm sure some of this will get into the after-show music that okay. I, I throw stuff into I think we should talk about, because we were talking about it before we started recording, like, what is the Internet of Things and, like, is it too big? Because we were talking about what I talk about in terms of my show, where this will fit. And I said the Smart Home Show. And, Andrew, you said, well, okay, we'll talk about Smart Home. I said, I could talk about all of it. And we all started talking about how the Internet of Things is almost too big. It's like it's everything now. Like, everything that's technology can be considered Internet of Things. Right. Yeah, we we, – that was kind of one of our first challenges when we started – the podcast is how do we define the internet of things? And, and we try to come up with our own kind of clear definition, uh, three C's to kind of make it very marketable and easy to remember. Uh, we yeah, probably more on the easy to remember side than the marketable. <laughs> I don't know how marketable it is, but yeah, you want to, you want to share that with him and see what he thinks? Yeah, definitely. So uh, our internet of things definition is something that computes, something that connects and something that communicates. And we felt that that kind of covered the whole realm. It had to do those three things together. Because if it just connected but didn't compute and communicate effectively, then it was just a connector. Like know? the connect is more about the, um, the the fact that it must connect wirelessly. The wireless is just kind of a yeah. uh, must-have. The communicate is more that it um, is able to give some sort of intelligent um, information on, on, I guess, things like status, talking to other devices, talking to cloud services. Yeah. Uh, there's something in the device that it has enough sort of. Um, so uh, it doesn't live by itself and, and kind of in its own realm completely. It's right. some, it somehow needs to take information that it, it either gathers or computes or figures out and uh, communicate that to something else to be considered part of this spectrum of the Internet of Things. And the compute's fairly obvious. So it's, it's still a very large, <laughs> inclusive definition, but it lets us talk about robots, and that's good. Yeah, I like it. I like having three Cs. Um, and I could tell you guys are maybe marketers by profession. Although I think as an, as an analyst, I probably should have a framework like that, but I don't. But what, well, you can, you can steal ours and take credit for it. We don't care. I will. It's going in a report. No, but, Excellent. I'll, I'll but honestly, <laughs> what, 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 you know, I initially resisted like the Internet of Things because I felt like it was – you know, because I've been following, like, industrial networking literally since the 90s, right? I yeah, remember, you're like M to M. You're, like, totally M to all, M. All and I remember, I remember, like, you know, there were vending machines that sold Coke that would have Ethernet put in um, right. in, in the 90s. Or, or maybe it was even a dial-up modem for 3Com. And they would yes. call back and say, hey, we're, we're almost out of Coke. You need to replenish our inventory. And we, we, By the way, we've gathered $25 in coins today. And that mm-hmm. stuff was happening, and that yeah. it was happening on the on the, kind of the manufacturing floor, yeah. and 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 so like I felt like okay, someone just came up with a catchy marketing name. Although if you look at the history, and I don't know if you guys have talked about the history of the Internet of Things lexicon, but I think that you know someone coined that maybe around the turn of the century. Um, I don't know when exactly. There's like some <laughs> the turn there's, of the there's century. some no turn of yeah, I know. When I say turn of the century, you're not talking uh, the not, yeah, the 1900s. It's like the 20th century. I think someone actually wrote a paper right right around 1999 or 2000, right? Where yeah, I first think said that. To, yeah, RF tags. I think were the RFID tags. Yeah, RFID so. tags were yeah. Okay. We we kind we, of the origin of of that, as far as we know. 
Yeah, now Cisco is kind of trying to re rename it again. The Internet. I think I, I, kind of major. Okay, to you're just going to give me go on a Cisco rant. Can I go on a Cisco <laughs> rant? Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Just stop putting out these giant numbers, Cisco, because you're you're kind of inflating expectations for everyone. And I get it. I get that you want to sell lots of whatever routers right. or whatever. But do you need to say it's worth the Internet of everything is going to be worth a gazil- fifty gazillion dollar? Like literally, everyone <laughs> and everyone quotes the numbers. Like everyone quotes the numbers. It's weird. They that tends to be their only. Is that their only product these days? Are these estimates? Yeah, they're shipping <laughs> numbers. Big like the, the year, the the quarter over quarter decline in in number shipments. Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'd like to report it. We had an extremely strong quarter as far as shipping estimates for a, a but, business that we may be in. Yeah, and I have some inside. Ba- I mean, a little inside baseball on those. I mean, I remember them contacting me back like six, seven years ago, and they're trying to put together their total internet estimates, right? Because I was working yep. at ABI, and they're trying to have, like put this together. And then I talked to the gal, put it together, and she's like, "Yeah, we just kind of take big swings and kind of estimate, and this isn't very scientific." and they're just make, making huge guesses by kind of glomming together a bunch of other forecasts. And yeah. I don't think it's very scientific. And then literally everyone uses their numbers. Like, so I think like everyone's <laughs> basically building their estimates of the internet of things on a, on a basically a shaky foundation of cards that could collapse yeah. if, if we're building on top of Cisco numbers. But and- isn't that the, like the point a little bit? Like I, I feel like so much of the general public thinks does, doesn't quite understand the internet of things. They just, it means it's my my fridge is going to talk to me, and my toaster is going to know when my toast is done, and and like just, which sounds awful, frankly. I just just like it's just this excitement that everyone's you know going to be in one of those movies that showed the future where everyone wears silver and everything yeah. floats and everything's magically connected, and and so Cisco just kind of adds fuel to that fire. People are just excited to like, oh, this is going to ma- magically take over absolutely everything. But and I I don't entirely think that they can define what that future actually looks like. Well, they can try. And it's, it's worth, I guess, kind of owning the mind share and saying, well, you know, the Internet of Things is blah, 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 and it's this big. And also we call it the Internet of Everything because we can trademark that or something. But, yeah, if, if all these businesses are getting VC funding based on these Cisco numbers, and maybe the folks inside Cisco don't even know where they came from anymore, they're just like, oh, well, we, we figured out this number at some point. That's kind of a funny little... Maybe that's how the smart cup got funding. Oh my! God. I talked to Vessel. Uh, listen, I, I everyone's skeptical on that. I actually think it makes sense. You I mean, sell it to me, <laughs> so Mr. Wolf. Well, so let's assume. Really okay, let's assume it. it works, right? So can yeah. we make that assumption? If it doesn't sure. work, then we're all it's a wrong. Right. It's terrible, right? So, okay. right. Assuming they have sensors in there that can determine volume. A there's one sensor that determines volume. There's another sensor that determines nutritional or, or kind of chemical makeup. Uh-huh. why isn't it valuable to know what chemicals are going in? Because you don't always read labels carefully. Um, you don't always, they don't always, companies don't always put what's in their stuff. And if you have like a d- disease, you have like some sort of allergy, why wouldn't you want to know what's in the drink you're drinking? Like, I think that makes a lot of sense. That's a totally legitimate use for that device. Absolutely. I agree. But you saw the Colbert report on the, I I think I saw the headline about the hotel report. It's so good. It's it's it was something yeah. to the effect of, and the vessel tells you, you know, it told me that I I drank this orange crush, which I happen to know because I just poured it in the cup. Yeah, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Well, it's one of those things that seems so like okay, this is dumb. But like when you think about like 
if you can really track all the chemicals you're putting in your body over like a long time and have a dashboard like that, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And you're never you're not going to see that on a comedy bit, but yeah, no, it just no, it sure. just didn't seem that that's actually what it did. Um, just from the little bit, I mean, it literally just showed that this is beer and this is yeah. soda, yeah. and I mean, it was just so rudimentary. Like the concept, I think, could be really useful on all food and drinks, and and I if they can somehow find the right algorithm and sensors to actually really assess the value of it. I yeah. totally see it. But what it is right now is you pour beer into a cup and it says you're drinking beer. Well, it but it actually, it, can, it has signatures. It connects to like the cloud through Bluetooth, uh-huh. Bluetooth to like a Wi-Fi gateway or whatever. And yeah. it knows actually probably through your smartphone to the cloud, but it knows it, what type of pop it is. And so, and it's accessing a cloud database, obviously, because there's signatures on every drink. Right. So this, you know, this mix is this drink, right? right. So it's going to say more of the beer. It'll say you're drinking Negro Modelo, you're drinking Olympia, and you drank this much over this much time. And so I think it's not just saying beer; it's actually saying the type of drink, which I think is helpful. So, like, I, not the type of drink, for but a what, mixologist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it would be. I mean, I I like to think that I would be as much for this idea as anyone, having literally tracked everything I've eaten for the past what three or four years, but. It just takes, you know, once you've kind of built up the foods that you normally enjoy, it takes a little time to record that. But I can't think of the exception case. Like, well, so if I normally drink this and I know what's in it, and I could get that information by scanning the barcode potentially on, on the can or on the piece of paper it was wrapped in or whatever, it's just hard to come up with what I would need back from that product to carry around a rechargeable cup. Well, it's funny because all the conversations that I've had about the the vessel all seem to center around women at bars that women at bars want to know what's in their drink. And I'm yeah. like, I'm pretty sure it doesn't have a roofie alarm. Well, <laughs> so, no, it would. It's it would. What, it probably would. Like saying it would. Well, I, but I, I, no, here's the thing. Women are going to care. You know, like my dad always carries like this, like coffee mug around. I always picture my dad uh-huh. with like the coffee mug, like, you know, uh-huh. old guys. Now I'm becoming yeah. that because I do tea. You yeah. carry around your like coffee mug that heats up your drink and or holds it warm. Mm-hmm. I Women, and I hope I'm not being sexist, but women aren't going to want to carry around this mug into a bar. I mean, no. sure, it's a little no. sexier than my dad's coffee mug, but it still feels kind of like the same thing if you're carrying it around outside. Yeah. Hey, I well, see well, when it comes to the roofie thing, anyway, that came out with that nail polish. I think that was that was way more influential and significantly cheaper than the vessel. Oh wait, yeah, there's a roofie real- detecting nail polish. Yeah, yeah, yeah that came out around the same time that they were making fun of the vessel. So, yeah, it's it's just a nail polish you wear, and you put your finger in the drink, and it'll change colors if there's a. And even the inventors of that, I think, were made fun of broadly and, yeah. and like on the net instantly. But that's much more practical. Than- <laughs> it, it is way more practical. Um, yeah, but- the, the vessel guys. I think it's fascinating. Like, I love the idea because. Um, that's like Star Trek stuff. I mean, that's really interesting. Or we could just create replicators that instantly make well, our food with everything we want. In right. That, and that's, then you don't need a detector. The vessel in reverse is a replicator. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, so all they have to do. It's 3D printing, but in, in liquid form. Like yes, that. exactly. <laughs> you Great. just need a small vial of every chemical ever used in any form of liquid well that's part of iot right the internet of things is the three printing food it's basically we all just want to live in star trek and 
that'd be fine. That's where we're headed. Well, if you're skeptical of the vessel, have you heard of the SIO? No. No. It's an infrared food scanner. So basically, and it killed it. It killed it on, on Kickstarter. I'm thinking it's like in the multi-million dollars, like two mm-hmm. or three million dollars. And basically it takes an infrared light and you could scan a pear or you could scan a sandwich and it'll tell you like the nutritional makeup of it. It's, so it's literally a handheld food scanner that wow. then reads out what's in the food. I would love that. Does it actually work? I think that's part of the problem of all of this, isn't it? That's the problem, right? If it's a scam, but like, you know, when I look at Kickstarter stuff now, I really look closely at the founders and they seem to have legit credentials, right? Oh. Um, but what's interesting to me is Charles, you are, you think it's valuable, valuable to have a physical food scanner, like a, a hard food scanner, but not to, I don't see what the difference is between scanning your drink and then scanning your food. Oh, only that, um, I can scan my drink with my phone using like a barcode and get the exact same information I could if I carried around this fairly expensive vessel that I needed to recharge. So it's just, it just seems like vast overkill unless I'm drinking stuff that I don't know what it is. Then it's like the vessel is hugely interesting. Yeah, but I think that's it. I don't think you're getting every, I mean, are we living in a world where everyone's pouring something out of a can with nutritional information? I don't think we are. I mean, I think a lot of the stuff we drink is, but Mm -hmm. I'll get stuff at restaurants or, Maybe I'm heck. Maybe I'm traveling in you know, overseas, right? And I don't know mm-hmm. what someone just poured in my cup. But well, if I had my vessel, if it could communicate, yeah, that's true. It's true. I just my my other. I mean, yes, there are a lot of people tracking their health, um, but I also think there's just as many people that would rather not know. Yeah. Which is which is a whole another problem that we uh, we came across a lot when we were dealing with healthcare and, and trying to introduce digital initiatives into healthcare is. Um, the, the first step, honestly, before you even get into the cool, sexy tools is addressing the mentality and educating and getting them to care. Because at the end of the day, you know, if it, I, I know this cupcake's bad for me, I know I shouldn't be drinking 15 cans of Dr. Pepper, but I'm going to do it. And so it, it, at that point, it doesn't matter that you have all this information. You, it, there's a whole another level of commitment before you even get into the cool technology. That's true. You do have to go to almost insane levels of commitment to yeah. do, you know, even what I'm doing, which is it's very simple. I'm tracking what I eat because like I weighed too much. And so I needed to fix that. Even doing that takes so much like constant commitment. It's ridiculous. And I couldn't necessarily recommend it for anyone else. So I guess if the vessel can help that become like a background thing that just magically happens, uh, that would be cool. I guess that would be the whole theory. Has someone made the movie about the quantified self? You know, like, um, the, you know, the supersized, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> there's been the supersized movie. There's been like, yeah. everyone does like these documentaries about like, okay, I'm doing this to my body. Like Charles, maybe you should make the movie of like the quantified guy, like the quantified <laughs> self. God, I should have done that as a documentary. That would have been great. Now I'm just going to have to gain all that weight back. <laughs> Do it all over? Oh, yeah. man. Oh, well, it's worth it. It's totally worth it. It's worth it for the, for the glory. <laughs> for the glory and the <laughs> likes on Facebook. For sure. <laughs> Part of it, I think, with the vessel is the video was basically a parody. It was made by people who didn't seem to have, who, who were a little bit tone deaf as to what average people might consider sort of a fetishistic sort of uh, technology video in the style of, say, an Apple. It's like, 
oh, we spent months designing something and we determined that it would be, you know, nice if it felt, if it uh, fit into a cup holder, you know, yeah. they, like they, it's like they, they came across these it was revelations. So it was so forced. Uh, it was forced in a, in a little bit, almost um, of a parody. And I it think that's, if, that's if, part of. If the onion made a, like a video of like exactly. a Kickstarter <laughs> campaign, like that's, you couldn't tell the difference between the vessel one and the onion one is what you're saying. Exactly. Basically. And so they, they sort of invited it. I'm sure they're all lovely people, and I, I really do hope for their success because if not that product, um, anything that helps people understand what they're putting into their bodies is a good thing. I had a call with a guy today who is going to kickstart a product. And like I had written a couple of things about kickstarting smart home stuff. But quite, quite honestly, I think we're in the phase of the, the market that crowdfunding something, like people are getting so skeptical because there's been so many epic failures on yeah. whether or not you deliver. And yeah. I just feel like we're in the stage of that, you know, kickstarting, like at least consumer facing stuff. I think we, I'm just wondering if we're kind of reaching the end of like the first wave. Um, of sorry, kind of can the, you, sorry. I had a little technical difficulty. Can you um, say the call of kickstarting guy? And <laughs> yeah, God, some told, I, I got to not put my phone my my landline phone next to my podcast recording machine because some idiot uh-huh. telemarketer keeps calling me. Oh, so where should I? Where do you want me to start? Oh, just I think people are tired of the whole Kickstarter thing because of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that we're in the phase of the market around crowdfunding. Sorry, uh, one more time. Oh no, oh, sorry. My iPad went to sleep and I don't know why. That's weird. By the way, I have a I have a recording of this. I'm recording on my side too. So. Oh great! Excellent. I think we're in the phase of the crowdfunding market, right? You know, crowdfunding, uh, smart home stuff and internet of things stuff. We're kind of reaching the end of that first wave because I think there's been so many epic failures that it's kind of ruined it for a lot of people. So I think people are becoming just more, much more skeptical going into these things. So I think it's going to be harder for people now to say, I'm going to crowdfund this cool new gadget. Well, even Kickstarters seem to have been kind of shying away from the, uh, the actual physical product. I mean, they came out and we're saying that Kickstarter should be used for artistic projects. And that was the initial focus. Cause I, I guess they got so much flack about people wanting their money back. And I don't know, I think if it was just marketed as a, you know, investors don't get their money back. Sometimes this, this is perfectly reasonable. All investors know this. If you're going to crowdfund, then, you know, you're, you're throwing in 25 bucks to see what happens. And if you're part of something cool, then you are. And if not, then not, but I don't know. But, that being said, with Google buying Nest and Apple's HomeKit coming out and Qualcomm and all these major players now getting significantly more involved in IoT and smart home stuff, I'm not sure if Kickstarter will still be a good place for that. You know, I mean, now you're no longer competing against other startups, you know, renegades out there. Now you're competing against the big fish that... Or yeah, you have but a if plan you, if, in place. If you plug into their ecosystems, like I almost feel like there could be more opportunity, right? If you make a like a, a HomeKit compliant um, device and mm-hmm. like and you 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 make a really cool one, it gets crowdfunded, and then all of a sudden you're plugged into Apple's ecosystem or Nest's ecosystem, that could be really interesting. And and HomeKit, by for example, I also think is going to create a new. I, I kind of wrote this. I think I wrote this before because the HomeKit, as I understand it, is is something that other people could write apps for. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see a new line of like home kit or, or smart home super apps. So if I'm like a third party app developer, I can write a smart home app and not even make a piece of hardware, but I can make the very best smart home app that connects everything. And it's built around home kit. 
I think we'll see some of that. I don't know if that's a crowdfunding material, but I think we're going to see some interesting innovation there. I love that idea. We were just talking about that, you know, in the in the also with uh, health kids, the fact that uh, folks like Nest, people like Fitbit, are are really um, being tepid about their plans, if not outright saying that we have no plans, you know, to support uh, health kids or home kid. Uh, Fitbit just got kind of kicked out of Apple stores. Maybe coincidentally, soon after they sort of announced they had no plans for um, supporting HomeKit. HealthKit. Or HealthKit, integrating with HealthKit. Yep. And um, we were just talking about how, you know, for the, for the leaders in the space who are kind of have made some progress with completely proprietary uh, solutions that don't, you know, play well with others, there may be some resistance. But I agree with you. I'm, I'm ready for the little guys to come in and make this stuff work together because, boy, we have like a. Um, we have like a Logitech Harmony system and the hardware is great, but the software is awful. Anything that can let us control that with a better app, we will gladly pay for. Yeah. It'd be really exciting to see some more of the smart home stuff actually be much smarter, uh, integrated. Well, you know, just much more clearly connected in a way that makes sense from like a user perspective, like a real life user experience, uh, study with the Internet of Things because I kind of felt that a lot of the innovations that are coming out were singular ideas. Like this is one of the concerns I've got, and then they start growing from there. Yeah. Where it'd be interesting to see the whole thing kind of come together as a this is the entire home experience, and this is how we're going to put all these things together and connect. Mike, what do you use at home? Anything yet? Uh, I have a couple different point products. I have smart things as well. I, I use mm-hmm. some Belkin Wemo. Um, I have a Kivo door lock. I've been actually trying out the Simple Cam by uh, by ArcSoft, which using their closely software. I've just installed that this past week, uh-huh. and I'm not trying to give anyone like endorsements. These are just what I'm kind of trying out right now. Sure. I've you know I skipped the whole drop cam thing, but I really like. And it's actually kind of creepy, but I like these net cams. I put one in our, our main living room, right? Uh huh. And like I'll run and uh, I'll run out. I'll, I'll grab, pick up my son from school when my daughter's uh-huh. home, and, and you could actually speak into it. So I'll be sitting there waiting, <laughs> and I'll go, or I'll run out and go, Sadie, I'm watching you. Like it's like <laughs> it's kind of creepy, and she's like, "What?" But uh, it's actually what? it's kind of fun, and it uh, it has um, cloud recording service. So and it has face detection. So if like. I'll be sitting there and I've left and it'll say movement detected. It may be my dog, but if it says, you know, face detected, that's interesting because no one else should be home. Yeah. And then I could just go on the app and it, you know, it'll show me the little clip. So it's, it's pretty cool. Wow. That's if, that's if not a little creepy. See, I don't know. See, that's, that, that, that was my first reaction when, with all these cams, yeah. and, cams and the advanced internet. It's just like, it's so creepy. It's going to be the death of privacy. And then, you know, all this all this video going to clouds, eventually there's going to be celebrity home videos that are all leaked to Google. Oh, my God. It's not even funny. Have, yeah. It's not funny. But, it, you know, well, I mean, you can it's, laugh, it's very creepy. You can laugh, but you're also sitting there with a laptop with tape over the camera because it's actually I, funny I, and scary Because and I'm real. convinced that it's, there, it's there totally is, hackable. There it's is, completely hackable. No, there's, there's tons of software whose sole purpose is to... Uh, hack and record sorority girls without their knowledge. It's terrible. There's so, I, I the mean, worst at that people point, on earth. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be really excited when houses now have to be sold with like a dark room, like the black room, the one room where no technology can go in and there's no video uh-huh. camera, there's no nothing. It's, it's like a Faraday cage. Yeah, because it. the rest of the house is completely connected. There's sensors on the floors and everything knows exactly what you're doing and feeling and what's going on. Yeah. But I can get it as a parent. I mean, the, the, the baby monitors have, have come such a long way in the last 20 years, even you can talk to your kids and see them. And yeah, it's great. Them. It's really helpful. And, and boy, as a new parent, I, yeah, those are scary. Cause you're, you're scared both ways. You're scared if you hear something and you're scared if you don't. <laughs> so having a video camera to kind of be a proof of life, that's handy. So do you use a video camera? Cause when I'm old enough to where when I was, I had my young newborns, I was just using those little kind of walkie talkie monitoring devices, voice, voice, but now yeah. new, new, new parents can use video. Ours are five, so five years ago, it, there wasn't really anything. But if it had been available, I totally would have done that. Yeah, my uh, I have a couple of friends that just had kids, and they are swearing by that video and the audio because now their kids get up in the middle of the night, and they just talk to them from their bedroom and <laughs> calm them down, and the kid lays down and goes back to sleep. And she's like, yeah, I haven't had to get up with my kids once. I don't know what. <laughs> I know. She, she's so proud of herself, and I'm just – I'm like, wow, it's a whole new world. <laughs> Just wait till there are robots that can simulate human touch and they're warm. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's that seal we talked about in from, I think, Japan, that it was like a comforting seal. And it's this little stuffed seal <laughs> that reacts to your emotions and cuddles you and everything. Just put that with the kid when they're old enough to have something in their crib. Oh, and the kid will love the seal more a day. than mommy. <laughs> Such a shame. The Aww. parenting robots. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Um, at home, I've been playing with Wink, sort of related to the, the topic oh, of controllers. How do you, how do you like that? I had, a, I had a great experience with them. When I first plugged it in, I had a switch that I was not able to get to work with a previous product, which I won't name because it was just awful. But, um, and I called support, which is like, oh, God, this is going to be awful. And the guy couldn't have been nicer. Wow. And he waited on me while I did a firmware update, and he made sure everything was cool. And I've since added a couple more uh, devices to control the lights in our living room, and it just worked perfectly. I've heard that from a couple people, that their call support is, like, superb. But the problem is it seems like a lot of people have to call them because the Wink out-of-the-box experience is, is not been great in terms of making things work instantly. Yeah, And that it, I, I feel like we've talked about this a few times. That has been one of the major concerns with adoption with Internet of Things, right? Is if you're starting to try and get these out to the general public who aren't necessarily the most tech savvy, um, you know, you have to make it plug and play. Because the second you're asking for firmware updates, I could tell you my mom's going to go cross-eyed. Like she's yeah. not going to understand what that means and, and how that works. She just wants the, the light to go on when she moves her iPhone wherever she's supposed to. You know, it's just she wants yeah, they, to work. Yeah, they, they hide them from you, which I, I guess is good. But in this case, it turned out that they their actual copy that they used in their little wizard was sort of misleading. I followed it too closely. Uh-oh. So I just had to ignore <laughs> their instructions in the app. And I'm sure they're fixing all that stuff, but... Um, so it would have been better with Ikea-like Your mom might have had more, more success with it. Okay. <laughs> ah, you were too smart for it. That's the problem. But it's neat. You know, the fact that I can turn on and off my outside light from here and have my wife go, what is that? So um, there's so- been a lot of discussion, speaking of the heart, smart uh, home and all these other things, about Bluetooth and Wi-Fi 
I guess Qualcomm and Broadcom just came out um, swearing by Wi-Fi and Bluetooth as standards for the smart home. Well, and Mike, you just wrote an article on this, didn't you? On, I, on, yeah, on, I wrote an article on the Bluetooth smart home, partly because I talked to um, a guy named Radek Tadejewski, which I'm butchering his name, He uh, last week for the smart home show. Oh, and cool. He, and he runs a, a company called Ort, which is kind of hard to say, O-O-R-T. And mm. uh, they do a completely Bluetooth-centric smart home system, which was interesting. And so he that was an interesting conversation. And then that followed – what followed that is like this week we had two Bluetooth smart locks, or at least August announced their shipping. And then I knew that next week Dana locks shipping. Those are both Bluetooth smart locks. And then to top it all off, uh, Qualcomm is buying – Cambridge Silicon Radio. They announced that this week, which is a Bluetooth company. So right. it was kind of a crazy Bluetooth week. So. Do you know why Qualcomm bought them? I mean, Qualcomm presumably has so much RF experience. It's ridiculous. You know, they I, just... I think that CSR, Cambridge Silicon Radio, is getting a lot of design wins, has a lot of momentum in Bluetooth, and in part due to they have this proprietary mesh networking technology for Bluetooth. Oh. And they're kind of the only one really shipping Bluetooth mesh right now, which – really. Yeah, and next, you know, the I've been hearing that, you know, the, in the near future or maybe the kind of near future, the next iteration of Bluetooth will have mesh built in. And I really think Bluetooth, once you see Bluetooth mesh, that becomes really compelling for the smart home. Yeah. Oh, my God. So that that has the potential of changing everything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Bluetooth, if we go back to the original idea of Bluetooth, it was really to kind of give – old guys in airports, something to stick in their ear and walk through, <laughs> walk through the, the runway and talk loudly um, or walk down the, uh, yeah. but you know, you know, it went from be, being this personal area network technology for like headsets to becoming this interesting technology that does more. Um, now the issue is Bluetooth doesn't necessarily reach beyond 30 feet in its kind of basic configuration, but it's got great power consumption in terms of low power. Mm-hmm. And once you add in this mesh capability, you have this technology that's pervasive. It's in every smartphone, and it, it has super low power draws. So you can put in things like locks. And uh, and then if it's mesh, you can hopefully reach around the house because you have a bunch of different Bluetooth radios kind of building this interesting mesh network. Right. And that seems to be the, really the only differentiator that kind of Zigbee had up on Bluetooth is the ability to do the mesh, mesh networking. Yeah, and Zigbee's had its own problems. I mean, that's why the the guys over at Google or, or or Nest decided to take their thread technology and make it like a you know try to make a standard out of eight hundred two dot one five dot four radios, but not Zigbee instead of Thread. Um, oh, gotcha. Oh, so they're so Zigbee is technically the name of the protocol that runs over the wireless. RF standard, and they're just going to rip that out and replace that with Thread? Yeah, so I hope we're, hope we're not getting too kind of nerdy on, on your show. Oh, but uh, No, it's fine. But uh, Thread was this new kind of uh, protocol that was going to run over these this standard radio called 802.15.4. It's a standard out of the IEEE. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the, what normally runs over those radios is is Zigbee or 6LoPan. Um and the th- the guys with a thread say, "Hey, we're gonna just start over. Zigbee's a mess. We're gonna do this new standard because we, but we like 802.15.4, but we're gonna do thread instead." And they probably printed T-shirts that said, "We're gonna do thread instead." <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Every project needs a T-shirt. You're in Silicon Valley. Well, that's really interesting. I'm I'm kind of glad they are. I mean, I 
it's one of those weird things where um, you know, the Zigbee stuff I've, I've had and experimented with has all worked terribly and so difficult to understand where the weaknesses are, whether it's the, you know, the protocol level or just the terrible applications that are like the cause of all the problems. But uh, I just want the thing to work. I don't, I don't really care about plumbing, I guess, like the average person. I mean, it's interesting. And, and it seems like the, the company that you talked to or uh, was, was doing pretty well with the transitionary, right? And there's a couple other companies. There was like Zuli that all about the connected outlets, taking things that are traditionally not IoT and sort of kind of getting us more comfortable with what an IoT world could look like. Yeah, Zuli, they make those blue, they did pretty well with a Bluetooth smart plug, right? Yeah. In terms of yeah. Mhm. I think that's interesting. The if you compare something like Zuli, which I think is more akin to like a Belkin Wemo, like these kind of mm. plugs. Yeah. And what was the 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 ord is almost like this, we have everything. It's like we have your entire smart home in a box. Whereas right. So, but yeah, I th- well, they're both going to be interesting to watch because I think the idea of the Bluetooth smart home is going to be something to watch in the next few years um, if they can make it work. We'll see. Yeah, because if they can kind of do it Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, depending on whether the thing has a constant power source or not, yeah, that sounds like the way to go. Yeah, Belkin, that's Belkin's philosophy. Like, really? why would we do Z-Wave? Why would we do Zigbee or something different? Yeah. You know, we, we ship a gazillion Wi-Fi routers. We're going to make the right. smart home build around Wi-Fi. And so Wemo is pretty much Wi-Fi centric. And mm. that makes a which lot of make, sense. Well, it makes sense for their business model, which is what everybody's doing, right? <laughs> just yeah, some way yeah. to create their connection into it with their business model. It's, it, I feel like we're in the VHS Betamax battle all over again. Yeah, I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that things like HomeKit make that irrelevant. And can bridge that world. I mean, I don't care whether the device is using protocol X, Y, or Z. Well, HomeKit would just be... I mean, they'd still need to have the connection network at home, wouldn't they? There would be, but but you're kind of abstracted from all that. In other words, in theory, I think, and Mike, correct me if, if you know otherwise, but I think the theory is that I can build an app that controls HomeKit devices, and those protocols are effectively pluggable. So if I make a router that speaks, you know, protocols X and Y and or I have something else that speaks Bluetooth, I don't care whether that particular device um, speaks any of those. I can potentially control them as a group. And so I can say, you know what? Um, I'm going to hit this button and I'm going to be, we're watching movies. And watching movies is going to control these lights and the TV and it's going to set up the receiver. I don't care if some of those are on Wi-Fi. Maybe the receiver speaks Wi-Fi. Maybe the lights speak Zigbee. Uh, maybe those are actually uh, Zigbee-enabled light bulbs, you know, in the kitchen that need to be turned down. But uh, that scenario is going to set the scene for all those things, regardless of what they happen to be using. Yeah, I, I think that um, these software standards, like kind of these intermediary, or these standards like um, All Scene, All Join, and HomeKit are trying to become glue, kind of software glue to enable all these things to internally instantly recognize each other and not do like a lot of configuration. So I applaud all that. I still think the reason why there's these, all these hub startups is you still need a, like a box of radios. Right. <laughs> like, yes. There's like the people are selling boxes of radios because <laughs> if you have a Zigbee, it's such a funny way to put it. If you I have a that. Zigbee light bulb, you can't get on the network unless you're talking to another Zigbee radio. And so, right. None of us have have Zigbee radios in our routers. So until that happens, until like you know Belkin decides to build in Z-Wave or Zigbee into that router, you're going to need that 
box of radios. Yeah. And I wonder, what do you guys think about how that affects the, the things talking to each other rather than directly to us? Like two things on your home network talking to each other, making decisions, changing things accordingly um, with no actual need to connect out to a cloud or to to a hub somewhere to connect, c- communicate back with us. The rise of the robots. Right. <laughs> I mean, that, seems, that seems to be the goal of, of things like all join is, is they're, they're really trying to take the intelligence out of the cloud or the need, the need to use the cloud at least. Right. And they seem to really be focused on a mesh centric network where things can communicate directly to other things, which seems like a fine goal, but <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm not sure if it influences it, whether or not Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, or something else entirely wins out, right? It's, it's whatever's easiest on the devices themselves to, to communicate what they need to communicate and to be able to have the battery life to, to do it in a way. That's the problem. Yeah, these, these devices really can't, you know, a hub can have a, a box. It can be a box full of radios, as Mike <laughs> said. But a device can't really be a box full of radios. They really have to place their bet. Right. Yeah. You know, there's, there's someone asked me today, like, why do you need a cloud connection if you're doing a smart home network? Like, cause isn't everything happening like on the local level? Like you're, you're talking from one device to the other. And I think the reason is like, I mean, let's make this clear. You, you want like the ability to have your smart home run if like your internet connections down. Mm-hmm. So like everything doesn't fail cause you're not connected to the internet. But at the same time, I think you, like create interesting potential new user scenarios if you have like cloud, right? So if you have like uh, the ability to um, send instructions to from your smartphone when you're remote um, and then connect to your smart home, like to, to start your, you know, start cooking something or right. the fact that I'm using a, a, a like a, the simply cam that sends me video, all that's being archived somewhere in the cloud, this video. Mm-hmm. And if I want to see clips, if there's been like, um, an event, someone's in my house and I, I know there shouldn't be someone in my house. That's all going to be recorded in the cloud. So I think there's like just things you, services that are enabled that are interesting and like make like a richer user experience with the cloud connection. But companies like Belkin are making sure that like their smart home devices work if your internet connection is down. I think that's kind of like, that's almost a requirement. No, absolutely. That's absolutely right. All I'm thinking though is how much data are we collecting to <laughs> And every time an incident happens in the house, every time the dog yeah, <laughs> goes yeah. by the cameras, <laughs> insane amounts of personal data about uh, actually everybody. Yeah, we haven't seen anything yet. That is going to be the challenge. And how to turn that into something useful. It's, I'm glad Belkin's focused on making their devices useful without the cloud because, as we saw last week, their routers weren't, stopped <laughs> working without the cloud. They had some cloud service go down and, and all the routers just stopped working. So that was... Super unfortunate and proves, I guess, the point that you want things to be able to support sort of an occasionally connected scenario. It you is know? funny, though, uh, as you were saying that, it kind of reminded me of this video I saw, uh, I think, on Vimeo. It was like one of those short movies that people do. Mm-hmm. And it was the future with a smart connected home. Everything showed up where it was supposed to and everything was good. And then he goes to try and leave his apartment because he has, you know, his house is informing him he's you know, should leave now for his appointment and the door's locked and he can't get out because <laughs> the whole system needs to be reset. And so his lights go off and the air conditioning stops and 
the the woman just won't stop talking to him and telling him that he you know well you're going to be late you you really need to leave the apartment <laughs> you're five minutes late if you leave the apartment right now and he's like I'm trying and he's calling tech support and they're sending him through five layers of tech support and they're like well we need the the code from your password and your mother's maiden name and all these random things just. The whole thing was just hilarious. And of course, it ends up with he's just permanently locked in his apartment. The lights are off. <laughs> but luckily, Amazon is delivering food. Yes, yes. Uh, the, drone, just... the drone will fly through the window and like drop Yeah, exactly. The drone door. Every house will have its own drone door. What are your guys' opinions on, on smart locks? Because it's funny. I saw Dan Benjamin tweeted uh, – a five by five tweeted like one place I don't want a computer is on my front door lock. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of this skepticism around smart locks. And I'm always thinking, you know what? If some dude's going to break into your house, there's a much better chance. He's going to break that little back window in the back of your house or, or, or whatever, or get through the, the sliding glass door. Then hack your hack your lock, right? I mean, I feel like that's the last thing like a, a burglar is going to do. And maybe there's going to be some guys. I mean, but I just feel like I'm not, do you guys worry about that if you had a smart lock or as Dan will put it, a computer on your front door? <laughs> I don't, I mean, there's, there's a level of convenience that I think is what they're trying to sell is that your, your door just knows, just like your car, like your car knows you're coming because you have that key in your pocket and then you just instantly enter and it, it somehow feels more special that your house knows it's you and it, it unlocks for you. But um, Once again, Star Trek is what you want. Yes, I, I just want everything to know me, but yeah. with I, but I still want to keep my privacy and I want it to be secure. Oh, <laughs> and, and you're in trouble. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm screwed for my generation. It's okay. <laughs> Maybe after me. Um, I don't know. I, I think there is a bit of a concern with the security. That last week I, I heard something interesting uh, that ATMs that are on Windows XP are basically perfectly easily hackable right now. That hackers are going up because Windows XP isn't supported anymore and they can get the ATM to just empty itself of all its cash and they can just walk away. So all I'm thinking is as long as my lock's not on Windows XP, we're okay. <laughs> I feel like the banks deserve it. If they're still running something on Windows XP, they deserve to have all their cash taken. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, they have, yeah, apparently that hack is, they can do it without being detected. And yep. then some, there's some point at which they can go every day and, and take out some as much amount of money that right. won't be flagged uh, and, and that works. Yeah. Then, so I, I guess that's until <clears throat> those types of things stop happening or you hear less of them, I think connecting certain things like a heart monitor and your door front door lock, uh, I think just will always raise concerns because people think, well, if this hacker just easily got into this, what else are they going to hack into? And, for me, there's a benefit too, security-wise, in the sense that I can lock my door from anywhere, and I can uh, give kind of conditional access to people. So if I were expecting a package, maybe, and I wanted them to throw it inside, uh, it's there's a potential that I could actually allow access to someone based on, say, a camera yep. built into the door, or I can, you know, kind of set it so the lock uh, shuts the and, and deadbolts the door at 11 p.m. every night, whereas you know, I, we often forget to lock the doors because it's, you know, you're in bed and you're like, oh, so snugly. <laughs> Can't get up. So for me, there's a security benefit, too, that I think far outweighs. Like you said, it's, yeah. it's going to be the hardest way to break into a house. Well, and I'm not even sure that it, there's that much drive. You're right. You know, if you're going to break into a house, you're going to break into the one that's easy. The one that, you know, doesn't have 
and a smart door lock, I don't think is going to make much of a difference when it comes to it. Probably. Yeah. I'm a fan. I, we have the most simple, basic mechanical problem that prevents us from getting a, a smart lock, which is that our doors don't perfectly align. Oh yeah. And so I, you always have to kind of jiggle the door to shut the, the deadbolt. And so I've been doing all this research into tapered deadbolts. <laughs> what, what device can I buy that will have a tapered deadbolt that will somehow have enough, uh, you know, enough uh, power to shut this wooden door. I don't know. It's, it's, it's odd. So well, I'm wondering using, how reliable they are. I don't know. I've been using a, a Kivo for about three months and that's the uh-huh. Bluetooth smart lock from Quickset. And it's pretty good. What I, my biggest complaint is they don't have an Android app yet. And so I've, I've been using a key fob, which is kind of a little kind of Bluetooth key that you stick on your, your on your key ring. And my son took it off and lost it. So I'm kind of like, oh, no. like I'm back to using a physical key while my wife who doesn't really want technology in our front door, just because it annoys her um, huh? is the only one can really use it at this point. And uh, it's funny because if like my son's iPhone, my son loves technology and his iPhone, he downloaded the Kibo app. And if it's, it's close enough, um, to the door, it's like the, sometimes the the Kiva lock will just kind of go in this weird thing where it closes, opens, closes. So it's like I feel like there's maybe still a little fine tuning that needs to be done uh-huh. on those things to make them <laughs> like, like operating perfectly. But it, it is convenient that you walk up and literally just touch your finger on it and it'll it can open, which is kind of cool. That is yeah. super cool. I mean, we we weren't people who locked our door, and then we were like we had a very innocent home invasion like a couple weeks ago by someone who was just confused and super high. And so now it's like, Hmm, maybe that's a good idea. You know, even though we lived on this very dark and foreboding cul-de-sac. To be able so, to lock the door yes. from the bedroom. Well, or from anywhere or yeah, right. or just to kind of have it locked for, for us automatically yeah. at some given time at night. And if that can't happen for some reason to alert me, that's probably worth a peace of mind. Well that, and, and I think the hectic lifestyle and running out of the house and, being two miles down the road and, oh, I forgot to lock the front door and be able to do that from your phone. I think that definitely yeah. has value. And and if something ever happens where they hack the door lock, you've then got the cameras to notify you that yeah. there's a new face in your house. So, yes. So all in all. You, you need it all is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, you need you're, every piece. And then your home is more secure than Fort Knox. Right. Then your home is, yes. Your home is basically a giant robot. Do we want to make one last comment, all of us, to wrap it up? Or yeah, yeah, you, I'll follow your guys' lead. What's the What's the hot new thing? Like, I mean, everyone's waiting for HomeKit, and uh, I know you're way way more plugged into that than than we are. What is the industry reception to HomeKit? Because as someone who's following it as an enthusiast, but not necessarily someone who's tracking the companies who are making HomeKit de- compatible devices. I'm not seeing a ton of what seems like momentum. There was the August announcement. Yeah, I think that's Apple, about all I Apple is so holds everything so close to the vest that unfortunately with like HomeKit, I think they announced it in June. And I don't think they did a lot of meetings with partner. I mean, there were some partners announced, but I don't think there's a ton of early work done. So I think like they're just working on their product now, heads down. Um, I, I think that they may have to announce something before CES in terms of like, okay, here's where we are. Someone I, I kind of tweeted yesterday saying I was bemoaning the fact that they didn't announce a new Apple TV. And, you know, there had been all the speculation about Apple TV being this right. hub. And I, and I was a little, bit, a little bit disappointed there wasn't a new one. But someone said, hey, well, they'll probably just have an Apple TV HomeKit event like in early 2015. I said, 2015, I said well, that's great, but CES is kind of a big deal. 
And if they have this partner ecosystem, they're trying to water and feed. They probably need to do something before then. Um, and I don't know right. if that's like announce something around the status of HomeKit. Who knows? But I feel like they're going to do something before the year's out. I was really surprised that there wasn't a push to get kind of the ecosystem established by the kind of Christmas season this year. I guess that's they're probably just aggressive. not ready. Yeah, I mean they're they're probably just not. I mean they they announce so much and they're trying to push so hard on all the other things. And I think they really want a win after the you know this is the first real push after Steve Jobs and they, they they're looking for the easy wins. And I think HomeKit just doesn't have the the glory that Apple Pay and the new iPhone six do. And the watch. Like nest? Yeah, and the watch. And the watch. I mean the watch is, is sexy. They've been hyping that for years. I mean No. Every, they have not. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. We've every, been we've all everyone else we've that. been hyping it <laughs> exactly. for them. Like nice little <laughs> Slaves to Apple that we oh, all are. She's not. She's not a big Apple fan. Uh, yeah. Hey, Mike, has Ness said anything about HomeKit? Positive or negative? Um, no. I, I think I think that uh, they're just probably watching. I mean, they're kind of like the arch enemies, right? I mean, Nest is now Google, and and HomeKit is Apple, and never the twain shall meet. I mean, I think like they're kind of like those two are going to be. We're going to see an epic battle. It's like Germany and sure. France in World War Two. World War One or whatever. By the way, I'm listening to Hardcore History with Dan Carlin, and uh, I'm 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 steeped in World War One history. Oh, that sounds. And that I'm, sounds I'm, at the very end of your podcast, I'm going on this random tangent that I'll never be able to wrap up. That's okay. We'll just fade it out. <laughs> exactly. But guys, this has been a lot of fun. Yes, thank yeah. you so much. It was great talking to you, and uh, we should definitely do another crosscast. Yeah, the crosscast. <laughs> so this is I I definitely say you guys were fawns, and I was Mork on this one. <laughs> okay, next time we'll trade <laughs> on the next crosscast. No, no, actually, you guys are Charles. You were Laverne. I'll take it. And Andrea was Shirley, and I was, uh, I was Laverne Power. That sounds fun. Right here, awesome. Thanks, awesome. guys. Bye. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you found Charles and Andrea fun co-hosts today. I know I enjoy talking to them. They're great uh, folks, Charles. I've been talking to you for a while, and this is the first time I got a chance to talk to Andrea, but I, th- I found she was just delightful. I hope uh, they can come back on another show, and I hope if you're new to this show, you, you stick around for a while. All right, folks, once again, thanks for listening. Find Farstuff at Farstuff.com. Find The Smart Home Show at TheSmartHomeShow.com or Technology.fm, and find us in your usual podcast listening spaces like iTunes and Stitcher. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>